Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. What a gift to be led in such beautiful ways by so many this morning across the generations. What a gift it is to be a part of this church family. Um, Like I said earlier, my name's Evan, the senior pastor here. Thank you for worshiping with us. Hi to everybody engaging online as well. We are in the final week of this little four-week series we've been doing, talking about dreams and encountering God. We've been looking at these stories in the scriptures of when God spoke to people in dreams. As we think about meeting God in our world, in worship, even in dreams, we might be a little bit skeptical. That's okay. And while church attendance in our nation is on decline, though I'd like to point out Christianity is rapidly growing in the global south, in South. In fact, the majority of Christians now live in the global South. If you were to pick the most typical Christian today, she would be young and live in the global South. Still, in our context, there is a deep hunger in our world for the spiritual things. Lately, I've been spending some time each week on Westchester University campus with a group uh, started by Good Samaritan Episcopal Church in Pioli called Donuts and Discussion. Each week, they just give away donuts, no strings attached to students, but they also always have a board with a question on it, a big question about life. And the students, while eating the donuts or just answering the question, often have much to say and think. They are thinking deeply about spirituality. They have big questions. There's a hunger for an encounter with the divine. Perhaps you have that hunger as well. We learned in this series that psychologist and professor Richard Beck says the people who will live with deep faith over the long haul of their lives are people who cling to these encounters with God, with a God who bumps in to them in the ordinary moments, in simple moments, in big moments, in dreams. In fact, we've seen in in Acts chapter 2, at the birthday, the beginning of the church, the Holy Spirit falls on the followers of Jesus. Peter quotes the prophet Joel says what Joel said would happen is happening right now through the people of the church. In Acts 2.17, your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. In a world where we are skeptical. Skeptical of all things outside of neat explanation. Is there room in our lives for wonder and the encounter of God? Personally, I believe not only should there be room, but that we are desperate for it. 
desperate for something more, for purpose and hope and beauty and meaning. I believe that encountering God, not just doing the right things or following all the rules, but actually encountering God empowers us with a sustainable faith. So we've looked at these stories in the Scripture and we've seen God speaking to people and we've read in Acts that the Scripture says God continues to speak to people and you may say, okay, God speaks to people. But would God speak to me? I mean, would God actually speak to me? Could I encounter the divine? And if so, can you tell me how to do it? (laughs) Writer and thinker Caitlin Shes, she tweeted a picture this week uh, from Duke Divinity at the Divinity School there on Duke University campus. They had put up a sign, I guess, to help people find the seminary, but I love this sign. It says, to divinity, that way. Wouldn't that be nice? If we could just point and say, that's the way you will encounter God. If you just take this turn, you will encounter the transcendent God of the universe, divinity, that way. We've looked at these encounters in the Hebrew Bible, dreams where God has a message for someone, and it's been these great family leaders of the faith. It's been a king. You may say, I don't have much in common with with these people. (laughs) Today we're going to turn to the New Testament, and we're going to look specifically in the Gospel of Matthew, Because in Matthew's accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Matthew includes six dreams where God bumps into people, six encounters. Four of them will happen with the same character. Five of them incur just at the very first chapters, the story of Jesus' birth and early life. Matthew is the only gospel writer to include these dreams, likely Because Matthew is writing to an audience with deep Jewish background, a deep connection to the Hebrew Bible. So they would have easily connected these stories to the kinds of stories we read the last few weeks. These stories of God revealing God's self to people through dreams. So I want to do kind of a quick overview of some of these dreams that appear in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we'll start... In Matthew chapter 1, in verse 20, the scripture says, After he, that's Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. So Joseph knows that his fiancée is pregnant. He's confused by the whole situation, and he's communicated in a dream. And God says, this child. This is God in flesh, name him Jesus. He will save humanity. The rescuer, the Messiah. 
is here. It's communicated to Joseph in a dream. And after the baby is born, if you'll remember, if you can think of your nativity sets there on the edge, you would often have, right, like the wise men. If you remember these wise observers from the East, they have consulted documents and they see a star and they follow it to see if there is this prophesied king. Now, the ruler of this region, Herod, is threatened about someone who would take on this mantle king and perhaps interrupt his rule and interrupt his power. And so he says to these magi that they should come back to him and report on what they find. Well, if you remember the story, they find Jesus. They then worship Jesus. And in Matthew 2.12, we get the second dream. And the Magi, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Another dream. Wise men protect Jesus because a dream gives them direction. Don't divulge anything to Herod. They obey. More dreams come quickly in the text. The very next verse Matthew 2.13, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared again to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So Joseph is now told, go to Egypt. Stay there and wait so Herod can't find Jesus. Protect the child. Matthew wants us to hear this story Connect it to the story of the people of Israel who, if you'll remember from way back when we started this series, that the dreams of Joseph led him to become the right-hand man of Pharaoh and Egypt. It's how the people got to Egypt and then eventually escaped Egypt. Jesus goes because of a dream to Joseph as a refugee to Egypt to flee destruction. And in the same way, the people of Israel will leave Egypt and come back to the land of God's promises, we find the next two dreams. This is Matthew 2, 19-23. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. By this time, you'd think he'd get used to these dreams. Like, oh, hey, it's you again. Verse 20, get up, take the child and his mother, go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take this child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child with his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So then having been warned in a dream, another dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. He went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he, that is Jesus, would be called a Nazarene. There's this succession of dreams that help navigate the plot of the story and protect and move Jesus down to Egypt and eventually up to Nazareth where he will launch his ministry. But, but wait, wasn't there another dream? There is. One more in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's at the end of the book. Jesus has done his ministry. He's been arrested. And the religious leaders are demanding that he be crucified. Pilate is the Roman leader. 
at the time there of the region. And he's the one that's going to have to make a decision about Jesus' fate. Now Pilate, we learn from historians of this time, was not a great ruler. (laughs) He often broke rules and protocol, did things that would not have gone particularly over well with his supervisors if he was ever found out. He was kind of slimy and corrupt. So he had to figure out how to keep his constituency happy, even though he believed that Jesus was innocent of these charges that were brought to him. He's trying to navigate this difficult political situation. And we find this mysterious little passage back in Matthew 27. We'll read verses 15 through 20. Now it was the governor's custom or Pilate's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd gathered, Pilate asked him, okay, which one do you want me to release to you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. He's thinking, perhaps this is my way out of convicting this innocent man. Verse 19, while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Verse 20, But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. As I studied the dreams this week, I was struck by the characters that were dreaming in Matthew. At first, I was a little bit bothered. I was bothered that the dreams were mostly going through Joseph. In the Gospel of Luke, we find all this beauty and richness and learning about Mary's faith and response to God. But as I kept reading on, I was intrigued that it was these kind of side characters with the dreams? I mean, we have these, these magi, these non-Jewish scholars from the East that just kind of move in and have this divine encounter. Joseph didn't really sign up for this and finds himself attached to the story. And then the final dream, a character we've never met, we don't see in any other account. Pilate's wife, she has this dream An outsider bumped into by God. I was struck that in this gospel, each of these dreams happened to people who aren't really the center of the story. Joseph, in this story, disappears when Jesus gets older. He plays such a big role here at the beginning, receiving all these dreams and guiding the family, and then he's gone. Now, Jesus' siblings, Mary, continue to appear throughout the Gospels, so it's most likely that, that Joseph died before Jesus even started his ministry. 
that Joseph never got to see in his earthly life Jesus performing miracles and teaching. He didn't see Jesus giving himself up for the world. But he gets to dream. And this made me ponder those magi. They came from afar, and then they go home. What happens next? (laughs) Did they wonder what happened with this baby who would be king? Did eventually early Christians show up to their homeland? And if they did, were the magi even still around? (laughs) They pop up in the story. They point us to Jesus, and then they disappear. And then Pilate's wife appears? (laughs) A bystander, but God gives her a vision, a troubling dream, and she has to say something. She has to do something. So she sends word to her husband, and it arrives at just the right moment. Did you notice he was sitting on the judgment seat? I mean, this is crunch time. Waiting to make his decision. And he gets just the right news at the right time. She used all her power to try to protect Jesus. Pilate refuses to use his own power. He refuses to act on what he knows to be true. Jesus is killed. Some early Christian traditions say Pilate's wife eventually becomes a Jesus follower, but but we don't know that for sure. We don't know what happened to her after this. We don't know what the conversation was like when Pilate got home. And she found out that he ignored her advice. But she used her voice. She bumped into God, and God bumped into her, and she did something about it. These minor characters, bumped into by God. Children, or or even some of us adults who are a bit less mature, we often act like we are the main character in the story. (laughs) We often act like the world revolves around us, but hopefully as we grow in maturity, we realize that it doesn't. We're part of the world, an important part, but we're also part of something bigger. Although I fear for many of us that we go to the other extreme where we feel like we don't have a role to play at all. That we don't matter that God couldn't meet us, couldn't encounter us or use us. And yet, Matthew gives us these dreams to relatively minor and secondary characters because they matter. Like you matter. It reminds me of that text we read in Acts chapter 2 that God would work and speak and move through sons and daughters, young men and women, old men and women, all to point to God. How might you be on the edge of what God is doing in the world? What might you be seeing? 
What might God prompt you to share? How might God use you? Just because you paid attention, responded, said yes. Or maybe the question is who from the edges are you listening to? Who might God be bumping into and encouraging to share their story? Who might have an encounter with God that might shape us, but we don't even notice because they're not the kind of person we tend to listen to? How might God use people at the edges? How might God use you? Darnella Frazier was just a teenager when she saw an event unfolding right in front of her. She pulled out her phone and she started to record and capture video in May of 2020 as George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis. Her video is the one that we all saw. It went viral, it sparked protests and discussions, discussions even right here in our church about racial justice and advocacy. Darnella Frazier's courage and quick thinking and documenting the situation with her phone had a profound impact in awareness in our world about racial injustice and police brutality. Her actions underscored the power of ordinary people to affect change, demand justice even through whatever limited tools they may have at their disposal, even if they weren't even looking for that role. I don't think Joseph was looking for this role. I don't think the Magi were looking for this role. I know that Pilate's wife was not looking to be troubled by a dream, was not looking forward to sending a message to her husband. But God bumped into them. Can it happen with you? Has it? I believe that God bumps into us. We can see God at work around us. I don't know why some of us have wild stories and dreams and encounters with the divine. and Some people hear voices and others don't. But I do know that all of us are pursued by God. You see, so many of the stories recorded in Scripture... They lead people to then pursue God, and they should. But the big story of Scripture is not the story of people trying to find God. That's not the point of Scripture. The big story is God seeking us. It's why Jesus tells the stories about lost coins and lost sheep. It's, it's why Jesus would compare himself to a shepherd that would leave behind the 99 secure sheep to find that one sheep out there who was lost and in trouble. Jesus would compare the father to the father of the prodigal son. Who, as his son slinks home, assuming he lost everything because of all that he had squandered, his father sees him and breaks into a run to welcome his lost son home and embrace him. 
can we encounter God? We worship a God who is seeking us right now. If you remember in our first sermon on dreams, we talked about the research by the philosopher William James, who wrote these famous lectures, The Varieties of Religious Experience. After vast research, he, he said, usually mystical encounters have four things in common. They're ineffable beyond words and descriptions. They're noetic, which just means they bring knowledge. They help us see something new, a revelation, a perception of reality that's more than we expected. It's more loving, more beautiful, more hopeful. They tend to be transient experiences that tend to be limited in duration. And they're passive. As in, you can't attain them, but they are received. Does this not describe the story of Jesus coming to earth? Though written about extensively, words seem to fail, don't they? To grasp the full beauty. Something that we can point to with words and art and still can't quite capture the power. It's a story so beautiful it seems foolish to many. God in flesh. God meeting me. God here. The story of Jesus brought us something new to know, revealed to us who God is, what God is like, how deeply we are loved. It was limited in time, physical presence, limited to these years on earth, though the Spirit of God remains with us even now. And it is a story about something we receive, not something we could achieve or attain or earn, it was the gift of God giving God's self for us. When we encounter the divine, we're always encountering the one who wants to encounter us, who seeks us. In the same way, Joseph and the Magi and Pilate's wife are invited to move away from violence and cruelty to move away from centers of fear. These encounters were an invitation to peace. And so for us, we may encounter the divine in a dream or a moment of transcendence or an experience as the sun breaks over the ocean. It may be a sense of peace in the midst of chaos, comfort during loss, presence even in the mundane act of changing diapers, making a meal, planting a tree. But they're all an invitation to peace. I realize that traditionally, normally, as we dream, we're not usually having divine encounters. But are we open to God bumping into us? I'll give you some more practical encouragement as you seek to discern the difference between just neurons firing or heartburn in your chest, how do you know if it's a real encounter with the divine? The church in Corinth had similar questions, and Paul encouraged them this way in 1 Corinthians 14.33a, for God is a God not of disorder, but of peace. So God will bump into us, I believe, and I believe it will invite us to peace. 
Even with Pilate's wife, a troubling encounter, she was given a pathway towards peace. She said something. I know you may be asking, Pastor, can you really believe this stuff? (laughs) That God could really bump into me. Yeah. I believe we can encounter God in service and in nature and in worship and together with each other in simple things and big things. Not only do I believe that God could bump into you and might bump into you one day, I believe God already did. There's this great story of the theologian Karl Barth. He was once asked, when was it, sir, that you were saved? And he said, 2,000 years ago on a Roman cross. (laughs) I love that answer because it reminds us again and again that the divine has already sought us out, already encountered us, already laid down his life. Jesus sought you out to welcome you home, to show you that you matter and you are loved and you are enough to run towards you like that father of the prodigal son and wipe the dirt off your face and tell you you are loved. I believe there will still be visions and dreams and encounters, thanks be to God. And they all flow out of that great encounter where heaven met earth fully and finally, where Jesus showed us how much we are loved and showed us how powerless death and evil and sin is when it's faced with the love of God. Man, that's peace. I pray that God might bump into you And you might be receptive to sense where God could be at work among you. And so as we go this week, I want to encourage you to pray for two things we prayed for last week. Pray for an encounter with God for you and for somebody else. And pray how it is you might respond to the God who bumps into us. Let us pray. God, I thank you that you encounter us, that you encountered us on that Roman cross 2,000 years ago, that you encounter people on the edges, in the margins, that you still are. Help us to be people who open our eyes to see what you're doing who look to see you in the world, who look to respond to your work in the world. Help us to be people who look to those margins and see where you are already moving and already working. And God, may you continue to bump into us. And may we hold on to those encounters. And may we hold closely, especially to that encounter that occurred 2,000 years ago. And through it all, may we taste, may we experience, may we know your peace 
and all shall be well, all shall be well, all manner of things shall be well. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.